0: i
1: Welcome to the Dave Durant Show. Dave, I know we have a great show lined up for our amazing audience here today, but as a great reminder from our relevant radio producers, this show is made available on podcast platforms, uh, again, on the relevant radio app or anywhere where you listen to podcasts. One hour after this episode airs live on Saturdays at 1 p.m. Central Time. So a friendly reminder that if you want to listen to a rerun or if you're listening to this for the first time, definitely you to listen to this on monday morning if you haven't caught us live on saturdays at 1 p.m central time just to get that motivation in for the rest of the work week to get your head right as dave always says so that you can get in uh you know in tune and of course get after it uh dave there are three segments for this episode uh the first one being you know your impediments to success what are your major impediments to success not yours specifically dave but You know, what are some of the impediments that you've seen that can impede success? Uh, And then the second portion will be the guest interview with a special guest. Uh, Guess who? It's Tom Monahan, uh, founder of Ave Maria University. And of course, a little known pizza empire known as Domino's Pizza. You know, Dave, one of the best insights that I got from this interview was seeing how much he had accomplished, yet he felt like he could render more onto the Lord. And uh, there was that pivotal time in his journey, in his life, in his faith life specifically, that really became the catalyst for him to start Ave Maria University. And he shares that with us. There's also an extended version of this interview available on our site, leadinggiants.com. We have our great Q&A section lined up. If you're listening, feel free to send over your questions to Dave at leadinggiants.com. That's Dave at leadinggiants.com. Two questions that we addressed this week, one being how to deal with a difficult coworker. And then the second question being, how do you get your mojo back? How do you get motivated after suffering a great loss? Uh, and specifically, how do you get back into the routine of your work life after suffering a great loss as a parent and as someone who has to, you know, financially provide for others? So we'll get into that and more here in just a moment. But first, Dave, we got a great topic today: the most common derailments of success. Dave, could you start with the first one? What is the most common derailment of
2: success? Yeah, the, the common derailments of success. I think these are important to look at because um, there's a lot of people who do all the right things that they're supposed to do, but they add some bad things in there. So it's kind of like, all right, you know, um, I eat right, I eat healthy, I have uh, the right number, amount of proteins, uh, I eat uh, all that I'm supposed to have, uh, I exercise. Oh, and by the way, Uh, I drink a pint of alcohol every single night and I have three cakes for breakfast. Okay. Well, you can do all the things you're supposed to do, but if you add that to it, it's just going to take away your results. It's the same thing in business. And the first one is distraction. There's a lot of people that are very distracted. They wake up and instead of getting directly focused on what they're supposed to do, uh, they start paying attention to social media or they watch the news, they see the review from the commentator that makes them the most angry and they just start the day that way and they're agitated. And you know, when we start paying attention to things that don't really matter, they begin to consume us. And we start to reflect what that happens to be. So if we listen to angry politics, we're going to be angry. That doesn't mean that we're not supposed to be informed and we're not supposed to influence people the right way. We're not supposed to be passive about, uh, you know, the way that we, you know, uh, vote and, and influence others. But it just means there's a time and a place to do this that matters. And when you need to go to work and you need to focus, that's the thing you need to do. And that's going to heal all sorts of things, including relationships and society. Why? Because... Um, people want to be around people who are providing and people who are taking care of their responsibilities the right way, and they're contributing. And if you want to raise your level of influence to influence the things that you're bothered by, you can do that. So don't get distracted by news, by politics, uh, an excessive uh, paying attention to uh, things like sports or just silly reels that don't matter on social media. Just stay focused on the work that you need to do and the other important responsibilities that you have in order to get your day going, but distraction is one of the biggest ones. There's a lot of people they they they're like uh, they chase shiny things. They're like the dog that chases a car until they see another car, and then they see a bike, and they can't find their way home. So it's important to stay focused.
1: Yeah, I would add to that the you know these billion dollar tech companies they profit off of your distraction. Oh yeah, right? and so it's it's tough, but at the same time, to your point, yeah, it's important to stay focused. Uh, what's the second one? I know you mentioned uh, and you've mentioned in the past you know, stress being a factor, how does that pertain to this particular derailment of success?
2: No, it's disproportionate stress. By the way, I like what you said about tech companies because they are professional interrupters and they're also professional stress makers because they know that there's, you know, there's kind of a dopamine reaction to seeing these things. And if they can kind of get you addicted to these things, it's the only way you can calm yourself down for a little bit. I mean, it's an interesting thing, you know, nicotine, uh, alcohol, drugs these things cause anxiety unless you're on them, in which case people will relax for the moment and then they go away. It's the same thing with distractions and news and stuff. So if there's a disproportionate stress, why do I say disproportionate? There's going to be a reasonable amount of stress that takes place in anything. I mean, you know, um, stress is the type of thing that just reminds us we need to get something done. You feel a certain anxiety because there's an unfinished. Job, so you finish it. Uh, there's a certain anxiety because you might need to run to somebody's aid or comfort somebody in a relationship. So you do it. Uh, there's a client waiting for you, and you have an appropriate level of stress that drives you to action. What is a disproportionate stress? It's making things too big of a deal, and people do this quite often. They have a hyper focus on something. You know, you've heard me say it before, but it's true. If you were to train for the the Ironman which includes you know a, a couple miles swim right and the main ironman the one, the one that takes place in in hawaii if you were to train for that by watching shark attack videos you would never do the ironman cuz you're focused on the wrong thing which is going to cause anxiety so we need to focus on the outcomes that we want not things going poorly i always laugh that the the number one responsibility for entrepreneurs brand new entrepreneurs is uh, is to get to their to-do list and on their to-do list the first thing they have is stress you know, and it's like they're committed to it. You know, they'll wake up and they'll they'll just worry and then they'll maybe do a little bit of like lead generation and then they'll worry and then they'll redesign their logo and then they'll worry and then it's lunchtime and they might think, well, I should probably shower. So they worry and then they shower and then they come back and they think, well, I should probably have a better chair or printer and they think about that. These are like the solopreneurs at home, you know, And then they're like, well, what if my business doesn't go well and I don't make a sale? And then they imagine being thrown out of their house and their kids, you know, impoverished. And it's just the wrong focus. You just have to wake up and do it. Go to work and make it happen and when we push these things aside and we just put the right proper images in our minds we can get there one of the differences between people who are highly motivated and people who aren't is that they do have the ability to put the right pictures in their mind and go after those pictures you can deliberately do this and uh, and stop um taking the wrong track until this is what people do so you know if you if you have a storm and there's a farm field, and you now drive your truck or tractor through the farm field. This is the Wisconsin kid in me from growing up, okay? And now the the storm is over, the sun comes out, and those ruts that you put in the field dry, they become very, very, very hard to drive around. And you take that same truck or car in that same path, and those ruts push you into that same path, and you're kind of stuck in it until you can reshape it. When we have bad images in our mind that distract us or make us stress out, we start to build these ruts so it's more difficult to get out of them. And you have to have a little bit of patience with yourself knowing that you have built these ruts since now you need to chop them down with a shovel or wait for more rain so you can drive through and put new ones in there. But no matter what, you need to be deliberate about it knowing something's going to suck you back into the other way until you've rebuilt those ruts and those habits. So it's an important thing to do to stay focused and to reduce disproportionate stress. What about the inability to see progress? How does this play into you know, a success? This is a huge thing. The reason this is a derailment of success is because progress is one of the biggest motivators for human beings. When we do something, we know we're getting somewhere, we, we can do well with it. The problem is we're very bad at measuring our own progress. We have a tendency to be pretty hard on ourselves, but other people can usually see our progress and we can see other people's progress. And, uh, and so it's important for us to be able to, first of all, measure things, you know, what is it that I'm trying to accomplish? Well, if it's trying to lose weight, you know, maybe you shouldn't pay attention to certain things like every single day weighing yourself, but maybe you should pay attention to saying, I'm going to give myself seven days before I even think about that. And then I'm just going to see how I feel in my clothes. And maybe I'm going to weigh myself, but I'm going to wait till there's, you know, a long enough time that has happened. So that, that progress that I might have a difficult time measuring, because I just got done with the meal or drank a glass of water. And so I'm, I don't have that. I haven't lost that three ounces. I was hoping I was going to lose. Okay. But it's not that you legitimately aren't doing it. Um, so you don't pay attention to the wrong things. You have to measure your progress. See, if, if let's say you want to make more sales, which is a big part of being an entrepreneur and see solopreneurs and entrepreneurs. Unfortunately, the number one salesperson is most small and medium sized businesses is the CEO. So they're kind of stuck in that sales role. Until you build an organization where you can escape that, you, you're you always going to feel a little bit like an employee. Um, but if you do want to escape it, you have to measure it. You have to say, how many calls do I need to make in order to get in, in front of how many customers? How many customers do I have to meet in order to make a sale? How many sales do I have to meet or make in order to have a certain amount of profit? And if you if you can't pull that backwards and say, okay, well, it requires this much activity to get this outcome, then you can't measure it. But if you do that, you can measure it and even before you get the actual outcome, you can know you're making progress and that progress matters. A part of this, of course, is, is to be patient in all things, but to wait for nothing, to be urgent about the activity, but patient in the results in order to get there. But sometimes people get, uh, they get a little bit, um, well, they, they get distracted, literally they get overstressed and they get distracted. So therefore they don't pay attention to their progress, but you have to measure it.
1: Yeah, and um, you know, there's there's two that maybe correlate with one another, and and I'd, I'd love for you to break them down uh, further. But you know, ego or pride, and then failing to ask for help, just seem to to kind of be
2: uh, two deterrents for success. What are your thoughts on that? They are very related. Uh, we can isolate the first one, which is failing to ask for help. Uh, failing to ask for help does happen quite often because of pride. No, I know how to do it. I can do it. I don't need help. Um, but one of the other reasons that people fail to ask for help is because they don't. They don't exercise you know personal self agency. they They just say, "Well, I don't know anybody who could help me." And so by default, they move into kind of a victim pity position, saying, "Well, if I knew people that could help me, I would ask, but I just don't know anyone." It may be a pride issue that that forms that, but it also just might be kind of a historical circumstance where they just feel like, they don't want to bother somebody because who are they to bother them? And, but I, I would just encourage you to get past that. Most people like to be able to help because there's an implied compliment there. And that is that you have something that I don't have, either a knowledge or a skill. And I'm asking you to help me because you have more power, authority, or knowledge than I do. So there's almost always an implied compliment. The other thing too is that most people who have accomplished things want to share them. They want to be able to say, you know what, I wish I had somebody like me in my life while you're asking me, so I'm willing to. Frankly speaking, if they're the type of person that's not willing to help, give advice, or um, you know whatever it might be, they're probably not the type of person you want to go to anyway, because people who have accomplished great things um, are willing, generally speaking, to provide advice. Now, sometimes that's their business. So it comes at a cost. <laughs> okay. But other times it's just through a personal relationship and they're willing to do so. So I wouldn't be afraid of that. Why is it related to pride? Well, that's pretty simple. You know, uh, sometimes people just think they know better than everyone else. So it's not a matter of not wanting to bother people or not knowing people. It's like, Who am I to ask Warren Buffett on how to invest because I'm the man, (laughs) you know, who am I to ask Elon Musk on how to build a business because I know better. Well, okay. Well, you're not them. That's who you are. Uh, it is funny. I mean, I've known people, I literally, you know, the greatest walking saints that I know are people who would never actually say they are like a saint. They would say they're striving to, but they wouldn't say, um, I am exactly like, you know, um, St. Therese, I'm just like her. I mean, I exhibit all of the faithfulness and devotion that she had, or I am exactly like St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, brilliant. No, 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 no. They say, they, they usually say, I, I can relate to, to King David, like, you know, on his wild days. Uh, I can relate to St. Peter when he betrayed Christ. Uh, I can relate to St. Therese when she has this my, in the story of the soul, this minor little infraction that was like kind of big to her as she was being formed as a young child, but they generally don't say, "I've made it all the way there." Um, although I have heard people that have done that that say, "I I am exactly like the saint," and it is it's pretty interesting. Um, I suppose if you exactly were, that would be humble, and you should state that if somebody asked. But I've I've been around a few people that have thought that with a little bit of room to grow. Um, but that's I think one of the things that we have to look at where we are. And that doesn't mean that we don't say you you might have to you might happen to have an insight that is beyond somebody else, you wouldn't need to ask for their help. But for the most part, there there's so many more people out there who know more than we do that it makes a whole lot of sense to ask them. I mean, I I spend a lot of my own personal time looking at the people that have accomplished more than I have accomplished. To get their insights. In fact, we've got a great interview coming up this afternoon. We're going to be meeting with one of our future guests on the show, Tom Monaghan, who built Domino's Pizza and then, you know, won the World Series, owning the tri- Tigers, and then builds an entire town. Um, and it's it's one of those things where it's like, wow, let's let's be around people like that to learn more on a regular basis and you just can't do that if you think you know everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh what you always say, it's precision, precision truth about oneself. Yeah.
1: is is really the the definition of humility. Um so one of the things that you could really speak on today, Dave, as the author of Perpetual Motivation is streakiness. What what does streakiness mean to you and how is this a, an inhibitor to success?
2: Well, you know why a guy writes a book like Perpetual Motivation, right? <laughs> and most of the things, because you say, "Here's a problem," and it's not just a problem for others; it's a problem for me. Yeah. What are the things that I need to do? What are the things that the people I'm leading need to do to stay consistent? And one of the things that happens is you see one hit wonders—people who have short-term success—and then they either sabotage their own success or the success that they have. Um, was uh, it came with either um, an enormous uh, amount of luck or a huge personality that could be um, easily used uh, before the vice starts to come in. So if we have success at a faster pace and we grow our virtue, we'll start to crumble. Um, So there are some people who have really fast success, but they also um, uh, have learned how to be classically, as they say, a good person, right? Uh, but what does it mean to be a good person? Well, only God is ultimately good. Mm. And if we want to be a good person, uh, we need to have the virtues that ultimately speaking draw us to be more like God, to be Christ like, ultimately speaking. Um, Christ would have been the best employee. Can you imagine? Yeah. You would never have to worry are they working their hardest? Is he working his hardest? Is he giving all that he has? Is he uh, loyal? Is he on time? Uh, is he humble? I mean, can you imagine what a what a standard for us to actually be to like, I'm gonna go to work like Jesus today. I mean, none of us could live up to it, but we certainly should try. And that's one of the reasons that he gave us the saints, right? Because you know, Saint Paul calls himself the chief of sinners. I mean, I don't know how this particular saint who was so abundantly holy and was willing to sacrifice all the things that he did, including, you know, the persecutions and let alone a shipwreck and do all these things for Christ. But yet he calls himself, you know, uh, a sinner. But one of the reasons I think those things are good and, and even St. Augustine's The Confessions is because um, we can relate to human beings who have sinned and that um, wanna live perfectly in order to get great things done. And if there's, if there's something about them, they really aren't streaky. Usually at the point that they have a conversion, it, it's not 100%. They have to work through themselves. But the one thing that's different between a, a person who is streaky and a person who has a perpetual success is is not necessarily always the results, but it's the commitment to those results. It's the commitment to the behaviors that lead to the results, but they'll have failures along the way. The streaky person actually goes from vice to virtue to vice to virtue or emulated vice really. Uh, I should say actual vice and emulated virtue. It's generally speaking, not authentic virtue. It's more like a virtue signaling when they have it, but they'll go up and down, up and down. And it leads to longer levels of streakiness. Whereas the person who is committed to great things, might make the sale that day or recruit a great person or open a new division and then the next week they might not have the same sort of results but they're right back at it quickly because it wasn't their vice that brought them away from it. it just happens to be that business is a little bit like golf sometimes your shots are going to be good sometimes they are and you just have to keep coming back at them
1: we'll be back after this short break with our guest Tom Monahan this is the Dave Duran show on relevant radio. This is the Dave Duran Show with Dave Duran. Welcome back to the Dave Duran Show. Dave, what an incredible opportunity to sit down and listen to both you and Tom as you interviewed him. For a little over an hour and hearing his story, he, hearing him share his story of when he was a child and all the adversity that he faced early on. And then, of course, you know, as he grew up and and, and grew older and founded Domino's Pizza uh, and even then amidst, you know, the tangible success that he received, that he felt conviction in his heart that, you know, even even amidst him practicing his faith very fervently, going to mass daily and praying three rosaries a day, uh, Dave, that he felt that conviction in his heart that, you know, he said he wanted to do more yet, you know, it wasn't enough that, you know, he was already building this great pizza empire, but, you know, he really felt called for more. And I think that that is a lesson to all of us that what little or what great you have, that there's always an opportunity to give and render more to the Lord. So without further ado, here is Tom Monahan.
2: That's incredible. So so now you know you've got a lot of things going on. You're building your pizza empire. You own a professional team. How long did you hang on to them? Uh, nine years. Nine years. So you sold them in eighty, ninety two. Okay, you sold them in ninety two. Now um, you, you would have to edit this if if I'm wrong, but that's not the biggest part of your story. All of that is what is leading you to the biggest part of your story, and and that's kind of where we sit now you you had done all these things but for a greater cause and you're motivated by things that are way beyond a private plane and a big house they are things that are eternal so tell us more about where that led you and why we sit where we sit here today
3: well when uh, things finally hit it was all at once i mean i thought i was ready to handle success i went to maps every day set three rosaries every day you know practice my faith and, um but uh so i i actually uh, you know I'm water like money like water I, a lot of planes the yachts um, uh, pick picked lodge on Drummond island in northern lakes here um uh, i was named one of the top 100 art collections in the country I had the largest frank hydroide collection in the world. I had one the, of well, the largest car collections in the world. I broke records on that through the other cars I bought.
2: And by the way, hey, I hey, we're talking about bigger things here. But any of those stand out? What What was your favorite?
3: Well, uh, the, uh, the the Pigotti Royale was eight point one million dollars. Wow! That broke record. I, I I was first one to pay a million dollars for a car, and that was a Duesenberg. the first one to pay a million dollars for a car at auction, and that was a Duesenberg. Um, I had about two hundred and forty some cars. Wow um, so i was uh, uh traveling all over the world, um uh, uh asked to be on a lot of boards uh received thirteen angry degrees uh speaking all over the place interviews uh um daily mm. uh, well, um, well i just did the national one because everybody locally heard of us sitting you know, on that help. and uh, uh, um, and I uh, picked up a book by C. S. Lewis, called *Your Christianity*, and there was a chapter in there, "Pride," it hit me right between the eyes. I couldn't sleep. Uh, basically, it was saying that if you don't want more than you want, you want, you don't want more. You want more than anybody else. And that's what hit me between the eyes. So, I mean, I was I couldn't sleep then. i was thinking, when I was a kid, I. I'm never a great athlete, but I love to play, and, and I always well, wanted to make the spectacular play, and I risked my body to do it. And I'm like, well, why did I do that? So someone we'll say, "Nice play, Tom." or uh, and then I a the little trailer with the kid, in the, in the long clothes, and um, we had Paul and everything back in the business so, uh, and things. Why'd I do that? Um, because I'm going to sell more pizzas and make more money than anybody else. So, you know, that, um, so I decided that's not what I'm going to be. You,
2: what year is this? About?
3: About 89. Okay. Well, it's a good thing, too. I think God had a plan because with all this playing around, I got in a lot of other businesses. And Pizza Hut got in the delivery business and literally passed us. And well, they weren't even on delivery a few years early. Well wow. and they put a billion dollars in the work, just took it away from me. That's I was doing.
2: If I'm not mistaken, one of the founders of Pizza Hut that was a member of Legatus, because I sat next to him. I gave a speech, and I gave a speech at Legatus, and I sat right next to him. From, in Wichita, it, w- it was in Wichita, yeah. And I, I didn't realize because he you know, wasn't talking about it all. Then I had got done with my speech, and he said, "You know, nice, nice job." And person sitting next to me said, he doesn't come the speakers very often.
3: Do you know who that was? And I didn't know. And I was like, wow, everybody. All things great pizza-wise are here in Legatus. Yeah, the two largest uh, pizza trains in the world were started by Irishmen. Yeah. The whole business was Italian. Yeah, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um,
2: so, okay, so now the, the pizza's doing well. You're going through this self-examination. You're at the peak of all things. And what I think the the two things, one would be, You've overcome a lot. You've dealt with, uh, you know, everybody thinks uh, from the outside, they look and they go, it's easy. He came up with a great pizza idea and he made billions and everything went great. But you're talking about having to save the company. You're talking about lawsuits. You're talking about radically unfair things like an $85 million bumper or a fender bender. Uh, all of these challenges have come away. Um, what, w- w- is there like a, a common formula that you used when things kind of hit the fan that you said, this is how I'm going to get past this?
3: Oh, well, I had my tweet and um, and uh, and I knew that uh, even if I went bankrupt, I wasn't going to do it. But three with three creditors put me in bankruptcy, and I, I had faced that for many years. I thought it's going to happen any day, and, uh, but I I wasn't going to worry about that because I'm not going to do it. Two words I don't like: bankruptcy and divorce, and uh, uh, maybe murder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so I just uh, and somehow or other, thank God, I, uh, I, uh, I was able to bounce back. I never stayed down very long, and uh, I, I always wanted to take the long road. And, and well, I remember when I was living in the trailer, and I well, it was bemoaning the fact that this partner was taking me to the cleaners and work with, like nobody works, and and uh, in, in nowhere, and uh, I thought, well, I've been worried about. As long as I'm working, doing half the work, and I'm not stealing for the billets, I've got nothing to worry about. Well, some way, somehow, it'll work.
2: Yeah, clean conscious and just get the job done. I was at the, what is it called? The the mass for the seniors before they graduate um, at the university, yes. And you gave what, if it wouldn't have been in a church, would have been considered like a commencement speech. And it was one of the best speeches I've ever heard. Do you remember what you said? Um, so President Minendorf asked you to speak, and I'm gonna to try to summarize your words and you can tell me where I am right, but he said something like, there are three things that I want you to do. Do you remember this now? Oh, yeah. okay. the big one, three. The big three. So you have this opportunity to give a very long flowing speech. It ended up being about 60 seconds. Can you encapsulate it?
3: Yeah, so while, well, what I'll do is I'll give the um, first one that, that was at Stubenville. Okay. Well, that was when they received a lottery degree.
2: And, okay, so this was actually a commencement speech?
3: And yes, and okay. I well, repeated it. Yeah. And, uh, and i worked real hard on that speech because uh, that, I really thought a lot of Stubenville or Franciscan. And I'm, I'm walking into the gym for the commencement. I got my notes there, which I worked over and worked over months, and I just look at it, and I just, oh, this is terrible, I can't do this. You know, so I went over in a corner of the gym, which I paid for, by the way. The gym? Yeah. Yeah. And um, I, I, I just prayed uh, the Holy Spirit for help, I need help Omega the here. And I had Apollo, Mary Beth Mucci. Yeah, yeah. It was a... Uh, yeah, it spark plug. So all of a sudden, I uh, got an idea. And then um, the hard public address, I say, uh, Mr. Miley, I in to on the stage. So I went up there, home cucumber. My turn came up. There's about 4,000 schools in the country, and, uh, and they all have a commensurate speech, and they're, they're all good and worth listening to. But mine's better than any. In fact, it's not a speech. It's a, it's a challenge. I challenge anyone, all you graduates, uh, for the rest of your life, say a Rosary. Or and I couldn't believe it. Yay! Oh, and you know that said, yay! They're cheering, yeah. And then uh, I calmed down. I said, Childary, I would you say rosary every day. Yay! <laughs> and, uh, then uh, I calmed down. I said, Childary, I would go to confession at these once a month for the rest of your life. Yay! And then I said, if I have to explain why that's important, you wasted four years here. Thank you very much. Isn't that
2: incredible? Yeah, and you said the same thing. Yeah, yeah. That, and there's, there's the, the big three. Yeah. Daily rosary, monthly confession, and Daily Mass. And that's like the greatest way to wrap up this interview. I mean, it's like all of that. Here you have Mr. Tom Monahan, this iconic figure. Tell us about graduating from from university to go become something great. Is it going to be this strategic business idea? Is it going to be this great investment here? Nope. It's you get right with God. And that's That's what you've done. So I'm really grateful that you uh, took the time out today, and I know there's a lot of people to be edified by this. So
1: thank you very much. And again, we want to thank Tom Monahan for taking the time to share his insights and his story with the both of us. I mean, what an incredible, incredible time we had with him. And uh, for those of you listening, this was just a small excerpt of over an hour and a half long interview with Tom Monahan. In fact, we'll have the extended version of this interview. On our site, leadinggiants.com. So next week, uh, February the 10th, we won't be going live. Relevant Radio will have their pledge drive, which is obviously an amazing opportunity for you to pledge to the growth and the um, you know the sustainability of uh, Relevant Radio. So highly encourage you to still come back next week on Saturday, February the 10th. But since we won't be going live, uh, Dave and I wanted to go ahead and share a little bit about what's coming in the following week after that, uh, which is an interview with Kevin O'Brien. Kevin O'Brien being the CEO of Best Version Media, uh, he shares a bit about his involvement in launching Men of Christ and how that's played a pivotal uh, role in his own faith life, but also in the community at large. And you know, we, they've seen an increase in vocations and how important it is for you know men to really be fed in their own spiritual lives. So I definitely encourage you to check out this quick snippet
2: with Kevin O'Brien. But one of the things that I do, I talk nice behind your back. Uh, my, my jokes are face to face, just, you know, but behind your back, I said yeah. I a lot of nice things. Yeah. And, and when you started the men of Christ movement, uh, I remember that first time 1200 guys where there were like 800 guys or something like that. They went to confession. Oh, it was amazing. And priests were, yeah. priests were saying, these guys haven't been here for decades, 30, 40, 50 years, Dave. Yes. Yeah. And so you get all these guys going mm-hmm. to confession and then their sons see them go to confession. Now you look, you you replay this, and you say, okay, 17 years ago when this thing started, it was there a, was there was enough. I think two people in the seminary. Some it was, I mean, it was like I don't know what the number it was, but extremely it was, it was yeah. extremely low. Mm-hmm. Now those kids who watched their fathers go to confession and integrate their faith, and you even would ask, hey, if you, if you might even have a calling, why don't you come out to the mm-hmm. stage? We'll pray for you, and you'd have a lot of you know dozens of kids come up there. And, and many of those kids are now uh, in the I
0: seminary. Mean, you know, again, it's amazing how God works when you trust him, right? And there was a, 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 a major gap in that area. And one of the things Father Luke had said when he was not the, he was the vocation director at that time, he go, I said to him, I go, what is the, the biggest struggle you have on bringing men? And he goes, parents. Mm-hmm. And I said, all right, what we're gonna do from a man of Christ perspective, we're gonna change the perception. And we started that, and it was amazing. We'd have the altar calls, and I remember the first time when we had we we brought this up. It's kind of like, okay, is anybody going to come up? Right? You mean that's a big yeah. thing, and it, it kind of Father looks up there on stage. He he says, "Hey, if you're discerning the priesthood, you know, come up." And there was this awkward silence. Mm-hmm. Like, all right, please, Lord, man, have one guy. Yes. But what happens is one person stands up, and then all of these guys stand up around him and they start cheering. What you see is boom, boom. boom yes. Boom, boom. So this idea of we need encouragement, right? We need to to bring this up. And I think that's been one of the gifts and it came with a lot of struggle. So this didn't like, we don't have a marketing model. What do I mean by that? Put it in the bulletin, hang up a flyer. It's a sales model. It's, we call it tapping. One tap at a time. It's the personal invite. We've got the, the uh, we build out our leadership team. That would be the, one yeah. of the biggest things that I would say that we did to help us become so effective so, so fast.
2: It's interesting just on the on the call to vocations too.
1: This is the Dave Durant Show. We'll be back in just a moment with our Q&A segment.
2: All right. Welcome back to the
1: Dave Duran Show. Dave, as always, we have some great questions from our listeners. Remember, if you're listening today, go ahead and send over your questions to Dave at leadinggiants.com. The first question today, Dave, is it's a little bit longer here, but bear with me. So, uh, Dave, I am struggling with how to handle my frustration towards a colleague in special education who is underperforming yet is unlikely to be fired due to the shortage of staff in our field. I work in a large urban uh, public school district, and my concern is that this situation leads to underserving our vulnerable students. Although my colleague is in their secondary probationary year and receiving mentorship, I don't believe their performance issues are simply due to a lack of experience. They often act as if they're more knowledgeable than they actually are, which makes it difficult for me to suggest improvements. I've already raised these issues with administrators. How should I deal with grudge holding, um, withholding grudge? or lack of forgiveness in a situation where a colleague is underperforming and very unlikely to be fired for underperforming? And more specifically, how should I deal with these things in a, in a helping profession where the colleague's performance results in a vulnerable population of people being underserved?
2: What okay. are your thoughts? It's a great question. By the way, my, my mom was in special education. I'm actually quite familiar with uh, special ed in uh, kind of a couple of peripheral uh, ways. Uh, the answer to the question for you is similar th- than it is to everybody else. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to lead with kind of the blunt force answer, which I am a little hesitant to do because the nuances to these sorts of things and the heart involved in this are so so real and so good. And the frustration comes from such a good place. So I, I do want to at least say that I acknowledge it and I want to get to that place. But, But here's the blunt force answer. You can only worry about what you can worry about. And you shouldn't worry about more. And what happens is quite often for people, and I'm going to divert from this particular person's question and just answer in a general radio audience because I can tell that her heart is in the right place. But but let me go to this question from a person whose heart wouldn't be in the right place because there are others. Many people are just way too concerned about others in the workplace and they're not paying attention to their own selves. It's a little bit like people who love to call others hypocrites. And why do they do that? So you don't look at me. Okay, I'm going to tell you you're a hypocrite just so you don't look at me. I'm going to run around saying, well, I would never act like that person. Um, I'm not that way. You know, I don't do those bad things. At least I don't do this. And it's a a deflection. It's a distraction. So there are many people in the workplace. I don't believe that, by the way, this particular person at all who sent the email is this type, but this is good for the radio, right? Right. Um, who fall into this problem not because of virtue, but because of vice, jealousy, irritation, frustration, and not paying attention to what's relevant. So I just want, I, I just want to say that in case somebody's saying, Oh, I'm in the same situation. Maybe you're not. So pay attention to that. Now, back to this particular person. You can hear from the way that she's wording it that she just wants what's best for the students. And it's very difficult for her to be able to see students who are in need not getting the proper help that they need. And she can only help so many herself, right? So here she is probably working with some people independent from this other special ed teacher who's not doing well. And she's helping these kids and they're making progress. Or she has a shared responsibility where she's working together with that other teacher. And it's, it's difficult because she feels like the work that she's trying to get done is also being stymied because of that. And at the end of the day, it's the kids that are losing. Regardless of the fact that your heart is in the right place on this, you can only control what you control. If you were the person who had the authority to fire this other person and find somebody else, it would be different. But you don't have that. The more you are frustrated by the answer to the question, the less you're going to be able to focus effectively on the job that you need to do. Because you're going to be spending time thinking about things you can't control. And this is one of the most important things that a person can do when it comes to uh, being effective in the workplace. By the way, let alone happy actually in the workplace. And that is to know where your control stops and where it starts. That's one of the reasons that people always say, oh, I want to fire my boss. We used to just call that quitting Okay. They say, uh, I want to manage my boss. Yeah. Well, we used to call that overstepping and it still is called that. Where you have authority, exercise it. Where you don't have authority, you have to just give it up. You have to give it up to somebody else and do your job the best you can. Now, here's another thing that I would say, because this is a very sacrificial thing, because you probably got into special ed because you love these kids and you want them to to do well, you're seeing them suffer in a way that you can't control. You just have to offer that up. And this is, again, one of these times, classically as a Catholic, that we have an opportunity to take an emotional pain, not just a physical pain and say, Lord, you know what? I'm gonna use this, if, if this were martial arts, it'd be a keto, to use the other person's energy against them in order to win the battle. Well, you just say, hey, every time I see this frustration, every time I'm frustrated by this, could you just do me a favor? Could you send that child that needs help a little bit of extra grace? And I want to offer up my suffering for that kid's ability to heal, to learn, to perform in school. And you will know that God somehow, some way, maybe not in such a magically reciprocated formula like you prayed for, but in some mysterious way is going to provide good for that kid because of the penance that you're suffering when you're going through this. I know that these answers kind of fall short because what people mostly want to hear is walk up to that person and say this and they'll change. Walk up to your boss and say this and they'll fire them. It's just not that way. So we need to do our job effectively and then we just need to offer up the rest uh, as best we can. Yeah,
1: definitely agree there, uh, Dave. Uh, The second question that came in from our listeners is, uh, I used to love my role in corporate tech. I've worked and lived in Silicon Valley for my whole life as a leadership coach in the talent development team. Uh, Then I lost my husband quite suddenly in 2012. Our little ones were only three and five at the time. So sorry to hear about your loss. I've been more or less a zombie at work and now unemployed ever since. In the past almost four years, I've become laser focused on my vocation as a single mom and spend most of my time in prayer and adoration. I recognize it's not prudent or financially responsible. I'd love to enjoy to work again, but the grieving process has taken much longer for me than it should. What did you do to get your mojo back, i.e. get through the grieving process so you can be the leading giant that you are, Dave?
2: Well, uh, very, very, very sorry for your loss. And I understand how that could put anybody in the particular position that you are. Um, I I guess there are two or three things that I would say about this. One is that there are some times where people feel like they have uh, lost their momentum um, only in comparison to what they were doing. So you were a a career coach, an executive coach, and now you're taking care of your children at home and you have definitely been emotionally kicked in the shins in a way that is very difficult for people to recover from. But at the end of the day, I guess I would just affirm that you making the decision that you did to be there for your kids is a, a sacrificial one. I mean, that's that's one that was necessary and important and good it may not be that you're called to move away from that at this particular time, even though there are some financial constraints that are very, very, very real. I mean, this suffering might just be what is necessary for you at this time. So I would, I would consider that as opposed to feeling like somehow you're falling short or you're failing. Now, you know your situation better than anybody else. And you might say, well, Dave, that was nice and that was kind, but I actually know I need to start making money now and that's where I am. Okay, so let's transition to that if that is the case. Um, you've got, you have what it takes to do this. And I think what happens is people have a tendency to take the way they feel emotionally right now at a particular time, because something was really difficult, uh, difficult, and to either forget their past success or feel like their future success is too far out of reach. But it's not, it's very, very, very close to you. So I will give you this sort of encouragement in case you feel like, no, I have to get out there and do something more. First and foremost, don't regret a single day that you spent with the kids the way that you spent it, regardless of what took place financially. Um, those are days that you're just absolutely not going to regret. Secondly, you've learned more. You have become more because of this. And there is something inside of you right now where you might be experiencing, and you asked me about how I've done this sort of thing, because I, I have had to come back from similar things. Um what I recognize is that all of the challenges that I've gone, through, I've gone through in life are things that I would never, ever, ever wish upon anybody else that I would never, ever want again. But in their own strange way were all, all sorts of gifts that God gave me that I would simply in some weird way, not want to return. And the reason I wouldn't want to return those gifts that he gave me is because in his divine providence, he put me in circumstances that were required for me to grow in holiness and that he took care of those other people that were in my life that might've suffered tragedy, uh, tragedy uh, along with me. And that in a, in a way that I cannot yet see, it was perfect. Now, I'm not saying that his passive will is something that he would directly want. I mean, his passive will is that you know, he will allow sin, but he doesn't want sin, right? Um, and, and so these things are always kind of a part of that, that human condition that we're in. But when you really step back, You are able to say, there is something I know now about me that I did not know. There is something that I have been able to learn or grow in that I didn't have before. Now, I'm going to be very particular with you on this. If you went back into executive coaching, you and I both know this, that when you are coaching and leading other people, they face tragedies all the time. And I know that before I faced some of the great tragedies that I have in life, I did not have a direct ability to connect to others. I was born and raised in this wonderful family with wonderful parents. Um, and it was a simple middle-class life, but it was filled with joy and not a whole lot of pain and suffering. And so when I was leading others that talked to me about some of the, stra- uh, the challenges they went through, I could provide empathy, but not a personal experience toward it. And I've gone through enough uh, challenges in my life now that when I'm talking to an entrepreneur or an executive, whose problem with their work life is their family life. I am able to understand that and I am able to provide for them uh, a galvanized uh, encouragement based on experience and even credentials and credibility where a person can say, well, Chris, you've gone through something like this so you know what it means to get through it on your own. And that's why people wanna go to support groups. You go to a support group with a bunch of people who've gone through what you've gone through because you know they can relate to what you're doing. And I was shocked when I started leading organizations uh, at how how many of the challenges that people had professionally had nothing to do with anything professional and everything to do with their own personal life, their virtue versus their vice, the challenges that they're facing, their relationships, their strain, their health. And so you now are facing something that when you say to somebody, I know you can get through this, I know you can do this and they know what you've gone through. They're saying, wow, thank you for that. If you know I can do this, having gone through what you've gone through, then I know I can too. And it means something. This is a way lesser example, but I always say, hey, listen, if you were on the side of the street in an accident and somebody came up to you and they saw that you were injured and they said, put pressure on this and take these two pills. And you said, well, who are you? And they said, well, I'm an Uber driver. I drove by and I just, you know, I saw some videos, so I thought I'd give it to you. You're not inclined to take their advice. But if they say I'm a surgeon at Johns Hopkins, you're going to take their advice. Why? It's the same exact advice, but it's coming from a person that has a credential. You now have a credential you would never want, by the way, in a way that you don't even want to use the term credential because it doesn't even make sense or sound right. But it's a real past experience that you have, which lends for you to have a stronger voice with people who are also suffering. And I can tell you, everyone is suffering a little bit out there. And this is going to do something for you uh, and for others that when you look back on in life, uh, you're going to know that God... Uh, was watching you the entire time and helped shape you to shape somebody else in a big way that you can't imagine. Uh, so uh, may God bless you in that challenge. Well, I love our listeners and definitely loving the questions
1: that we're receiving, Dave. We had a, an email from a listener that is prompting this particular question from me. Dave, can you actually get a text from God?
2: <laughs> yeah, well, actually, I think I read the the question prior and and she said she did. So in one of our past episodes, I said something about, you know, God's not going to give you, I don't remember what I said exactly. He's not going to give you like a FedEx account or an email account. He's not going to text you with answers. And she said, actually, God did text me. I got somebody that knocked on my door. I think it was a knock on my door, a phone call and a text, all with basically the same message. It had to be from God. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm not saying that God can't text you. (laughs) He's probably just going to do it through somebody else. And when the Holy Spirit speaks, it's oftentimes through somebody else. So it's just good that uh, this particular uh, listener is paying attention to God and, uh, and was able to hear his voice. Beautiful. Well, uh, time's up, Dave. Any last words, any parting words for our listeners uh, this week? Yeah, you know, just stay focused on what you're doing. A lot of these, you know, even the calls that came in, the emails, and it's dave at leadinggiants.com if you want to reach us, dave at leadinggiants.com. We're about distractions, you know, being distracted by the coworker or by having a tragedy in your life and now it's hard to get back into things. So if you pay attention to those things that get in the way of your success, you will quite often see that distraction, which is the first point we covered in the beginning of the show, is a part of it. Everybody, you can go out there and you can be uh, great giants in life, a giant saint, as long as you uh, have things in order. So you know what I always want to say at the end of every one of these shows? Go to confession. Yeah. That's what I want to say. Is I like I have this mission for confession. So Nico, let's end the show that way. Go to confession. We'll see you next Saturday.